Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Dozens of churches in South Florida today and for the next um, few weeks preaching this same series called Undivided to remind the church that we're united by Jesus, called to the same mission, and that we as a church really serve as a demonstration community of what the kingdom of God looks like lived out here on earth. A kingdom that is uh, full of righteousness and justice and truth and peace and grace and love. And, and one pastor said this, a divided world needs to see a united church. A divided world needs to see a united church. But this morning, the gravity of our times is such that I would probably insult you if I attempted to sugarcoat the overwhelming frustration that many of us have had because of the events of 2020. Um, it's true that our world is divided, polarized around so many issues, but it's also true, using that same measuring stick, that the visible body of Christ from the outside looking in is also sadly divided. We're divided by denominations, by races, by ethnicities, by theological differences, our perspectives on politics even, and an honest assessment of the condition of the church in this country and many other countries is that for those who claim to be followers of Jesus, we really don't always seem to, be, to enjoy following him together. We got to reckon with that and ask why. And if you're a non-believer and, and you've ever had some of those questions, there are some reasons for why Christians are sometimes divided. Like, you know, for example, uh, an extended family has several nuclear families within it, and each of these nuclear families will defer in the rules of the house, right? And so, you know, what time is bedtime? What Netflix shows they, they allow to be watched? You know, whether or not you all eat gluten and whether or not kale is allowed in the house. Um, you know, uh, in a very simplistic way, this is how we have different denominations and sometimes even uh, different churches divided by culture and geography and languages, etc. But every once in a while, you get together. That, that Those nuclear families get together with the extended family for a family reunion. Ever have one of those? Yes. All right. And so the, the, what unites you at that point? It's the family name that unites you. And, and there's music and dancing and joy and barbecue, right? <laughs> Fun and games and the mere fact that you're family, you're together, you're unified. You know, if you're passing by then maybe at C.B. Smith Park and you see that family reunion, you take notice, don't you? It's like, man, they're having fun. They're united. They're unified. You, you, you know, you probably wouldn't mind going over uh, to, to ask for a hot dog and find out about their family and their history and, and, and to be a part of their community for a little while, especially if you were invited in. Because there's a feeling that that family is undivided. And this is our prayer. This is our hope. This is the work we have to do as the body of Christ. We need to picture ourselves as always at the family reunion, 
enjoying our oneness under a common name and working to be united, work to tell the truth about the ways in which we have sinfully divided ourselves and repent. It matters because the world is watching and, and the world will know that we're the disciples of Jesus if we love one another in unity. And why is that important? Because the way that the Spirit of God brings unbelievers into the kingdom is through you and I making disciples of people who did not know or love Christ or his church. That's how it happens. And so when they see a divided church, they see little evidence of disciples of Jesus who can lead them to become disciples of Jesus. So this morning, I want us to be reminded and encouraged from the word of God that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've heard and obeyed the gospel, you are united. You are one with every other follower of Jesus Christ in this room, in this country, and all around the world. Because what unites us is far greater than what divides us. Because what unites us is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. The God-man, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and who, who loves his people individually and collectively with an everlasting love. And if Jesus unites us, then in submission to him and his spirit within us, we can allow nothing to divide us. United by Jesus means divided by nothing. Amen? So I want us to take a long pause from thinking primarily about the things that divide us, the differences of opinions that we have. And I want us to practice thinking long and hard about what, has, what Jesus has declared about us. We are his bride. We are his body. We are his building. And what he has declared is that we are one. There are several places that we can go in scripture to see that this is true, but there's probably none more beautiful in, than in John chapter 17. It's the record of Jesus' prayer to his Father on our behalf. It's often called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And I just want to read a few verses. We don't have time to read all of it, but in John chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, 9 through 11, and 20 through 23. Hear what the Word of God has to say. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them, even as you loved me. What a beautiful prayer. There are three things that, that we see here regarding the unity of the body of Christ. First of all, the reality of the church's unity. Secondly, the benefits or the beauty of our unity. And lastly, how and why is this unity possible even today? First of all, the reality of our unity. Jesus is the second person of our triune God, and he is praying to his Father in verse 20, saying, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's not just praying for the 12 disciples or those who are gathered around him, but he's praying for you and for me, people who have heard the gospel and believed and obeyed the gospel through the written word of those disciples and someone you know, whether it was uh, your family and you were raised to know God or a friend that introduced you to Jesus, someone brought you into a disciple-making relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you can imagine that that chain goes all the way back to Jesus praying this prayer, not for these only, but also for those who will believe on me through their word. And what does Jesus ask the Father? That they all, these disciples and every one of the disciples thousands of years into the future, that they all may be one. And what does, what does that, that oneness, that unity look like? Jesus says something that's quite astounding because he says, that they all may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. We are to be one in the same manner that Jesus and the Father are one. That blows your mind. In verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one. Does that sound like us? Not really, but it is. It is. What unites us is greater than what divides us, and that unity is real because who unites us is Jesus himself, and what Jesus prays here will come to pass. And, and notice that Jesus' prayer is not simply unity for unity's sake. We're, we're not called to unity merely to, you know, well, right now we can't shake hands or hold hands. We're bumping each other's fists, standing six feet apart from one another. But, but he prays that they all may be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you loved me. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life and God uses our unity as a means by which the world sees and believes the love of Jesus to be real. When they see that we love one another in spite of how different we are from one another and that we are, many times that key, that, that, that love is the key that the Holy Spirit uses to unlock the gospel in people's lives. 
And we can do it because we are who Jesus says we are. We are one. That's the reality of our unity. Like many other realities in following Jesus, this one is hard to accept, except by faith, right? Because we don't see the reality of it yet. But you can take it at faith value because Jesus desired it, prayed for it, and he died for it. When we accept it in faith and obedience to Jesus, we act on it. How do we do that? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul instructs us how we do that. He says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Oh, how we need that right now. If, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which does what? It binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule into your hearts, to which indeed you were called in how many bodies? One body. And be thankful. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> but the Spirit of God gives us the power to do it. Aren't you glad? But let me get real practical. The Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God to remind us of that. But He only uses the Word of God that we actually read. <laughs> right? I mean, if we find ourselves, which, which happens today, all of us, I would argue, are, are, are fall prey to this, where we spend two, three, ten times more time taking in information from sources that are not God's word. And it's very difficult for us to then say that we are actually being formed and shaped by God's word. Romans 12 tells us that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in order to test and prove what God's will Scripture can't just be read and memorized. It must be studied. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or discerning the truths found in God's word. You've got to be dedicated to spend time in the word of God. I've got to say that practically because until we've got to do so until we're convicted that what God wants for us is what we actually want for us a real unity that he prayed for and that he died for. Not only do we see there the reality of the unity of the church in Christ, we see the beauty of our unity in Christ. I want us to just pause and acknowledge one obvious fact. Mention it before. We are different from one another. If I had more of you in the room, I'd tell you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not like you. We're different. So does that mean that it's just naturally okay for us to remain divided? Not according to our creator, because when different things are brought together in unity, 
by the right creative force or power, beauty is revealed. Think about what has been created and what has been achieved when there is unity. Some pretty amazing things. Think about a beautiful picture and all of the colors and the texture, textures and the techniques used in order to create this one unified picture. It's beautiful, but there is many parts that come together in order to make it a masterpiece. Or music. It's not just that there are different notes. You have different uh, musicians playing different chords at different points in time. And it takes practice. It takes effort. It takes discipline. But those finely tuned gifts coming together in one performance is beautiful. Or think about your body for a moment. That finely tuned, precision, engineered uh, body that you have. Now, you might not think about yourself that way, but your body is a wonderful example of beauty. Think about all the different parts of your body that are needed to make a complete, uh, perfect body. Your eye is different than your toe. I'm glad my eye is different than my toe, right? But when I stub my toe, my eye sheds tears <laughs> because they're all in one body, even though they're different from one another. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that we are in one spirit, all baptized into one body. And it goes on to describe us individually as the different parts of members of the body that need to be different if we're going to be useful to the body. But beautifully, we are one body. The Bible also metaphorically describes the church as a building that's made up of living stones, where, where Jesus Christ is what's called the chief cornerstone. He's, he's that connecting stone. He's that reference stone. Uh, he's the stone that holds it all together. And we are being built together as a house that God lives in by his spirit. My brothers and sisters, there really are no illustrations or metaphors in the word of God that talks about unity where we do not also see diversity and individuality of gifts and purposes and preferences and interest. And we need to be reminded of these metaphors to constantly remind us that it's quite okay that we're different while we're following Jesus Christ. But also so that we would then pursue the beauty of unity rather than thinking that that beauty is just going to appear out of nowhere. We've got to paint the painting. We've got to play the music together. And one thing I love about the unity and diversity that God calls us to is the fact that unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean uniformity. Uh, these two are often confused. Uniformity, uniformity implies that we should all be the same, like we're all wearing the same uniform, as it were. And there's no room or tolerance for differences. And, and, and in all of these God-given metaphors, there's no call to uniformity. There is a call to unity bonded together by love, which is worked out in the context of differences between us. Everybody here is not a cat lover. Everybody here is not a dog lover or meat lovers or vegans. 
or Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians or Black or White. By design, we're not all the same. And we don't always think the same. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, the beauty is that our union in Christ begins us begins to conform us to what Christ looks like. And even with all of these differences, he does that by causing us to come into contact with one another, rubbing shoulders with those who are so different from us. But, but he does so in a way that we're bonded together by love for Jesus, and not just love for Jesus, love for one another. beautifully changes not just our attitudes one another it actually also changes us so that we will not hold on to the things that harm our brother or our sister that's important so finally as we talked about the reality of the unity and the beauty of the unity what makes this unity possible the possibility of our unity. I want us to be reminded from the word of God that this is possible. And why is it possible? It's possible because of the gospel. The proclamation that Jesus lived for us, he died for our sins, he was raised from the dead for our justification, and he is Lord and Savior both now and forever. And listen, if we are truly following Jesus Christ, if if we're, if we're following him because of the gospel, we know that our lives are not our own because Jesus came to live the perfect life that I could not live. And he died on the cross, a death that I would not die. Died for my very real sin so that I would not be condemned to eternal death. And as we place our faith in Christ alone to save us by his grace, we're made into new people with new lives that are now lived for God because of what he has done for us and because of how he has changed us. Listen, that's the good news of the gospel. And because of the gospel, we can't live for ourselves alone. We don't live for ourselves alone. Other people matter. Not just any other people. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. The gospel unites us, even during a, a pandemic where we're spread out, we're unable to meet fully in person, we are still united in Christ. And we're, we're united in Christ not because we're in the same neighborhood, not because we have the same culture, not because we like the same foods, not because we shop at the same online stores now, not because we love the same music, not because we vote for the same people. We're united in Christ because we have heard and received and believed and obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while I hear that, and I know that to be true, I struggle to bring myself to desire to actively love those brothers and sisters in Christ who are different than me, who look and act different than me, and, and they make me uncomfortable. Who worship different me, than me. And I think, well, you're doing it wrong. 
speak different than me, who vote differently than me, and I think you're in sin. Whose experiences have shaped them, and they now value things differently than me in ways that I don't necessarily understand. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Rome about a major problem that they were having. In chapter 14 of Romans, he directly addresses the fact that uh, they've got at least two groups of people in the church who are looking at one another and questioning, man, are they even saved? This is in your Bibles. There's some members of the church who knew that since they were saved by God's grace through faith alone in Christ alone, they were no longer bound to the Jewish ceremonial laws that restricted what they could eat and what they could not eat and what day they could worship on. So they knew, since they were no longer bound to that, they knew they could eat what they want, even worship on a day other than the Sabbath. And Paul ends up calling these folks strong in faith because they have a strong understanding of the gospel and the freedom that we have through the gospel. But there was another group whose cultural upbringing they could not dismiss so easily. Even though they were followers of Jesus Christ, they had grown up uh, to understand that their freedom in Christ means that they could not abandon the ceremonial laws and the Sabbath-keeping laws. And so in order to avoid eating meat that may have been dedicated to, a, to an idol, they ate only vegetables. Because it's all that their conscience would allow. And Paul calls them weak in faith. Now I want you to notice that Paul loved both of these groups well by reminding them of the gospel. Now he doesn't hide that he believes that there, there's a maturity that God wants to perfect in all of us. He calls one side strong, he calls one side weak. And he wants the weak to become strong. But he's really not, in, in Romans chapter 14, he's really not trying to correct the strengths or the weaknesses here. He lovingly addresses both groups to correct their sinful attitudes toward one another. It's the difference. And so in Romans 14.3, he says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains from eating. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. The one who we may think is sinning against God because they're doing something we don't have the conscience for is in fact welcomed by God. And Paul is not mainly concerned with correcting their issues. If we love people well, it's this type of work which is much harder. It takes much prayer. It takes much patience. But it's the work of the ministry of reconciliation that we are called to as a people of God. And it works to the glory of God. Paul doesn't tell the strong, hey, I understand, just, just give these weak Christians some time and they'll come around to your way of thinking. No. Verse 20 of chapter 14 of Romans, he tells them, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. So if it causes your brother to stumble, put it down. And then he tells the weak, hey guys, he doesn't tell the weak, um, uh, you guys are okay, you're making a good effort. 
No, he tells him, you're going to have to grow up one day. But don't judge the ones who believe that they have the freedom to do it. For now, they're, they're different, radically different, so different that they're despising and pronouncing final judgment of one another. But finally, in verse 5 of Romans 15, his final words to them, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That word is a word for us today. In all of our differences, in all of our polarizing opinions, that word is a word for us today. That God would grant us to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together we may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we would welcome one another as God has welcomed us for the glory of God. How have you thought about your brothers and sisters in Christ recently? It's been hard, y'all, right? Not talking about just in the world, I'm talking about in the church. Those folks on that side, that other side of the aisle, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ if they have obeyed and believed the gospel. If, if, if they've placed their faith in Jesus and they're following, following him. Think about it. Paul calls some in the Roman church weak in the faith, but he, he knew that they were living unto God. And the stronger Christians were saying, how, how safe can you be if you believe that you have to avoid eating some, some nice ribs in order to please God. You can't be saved. That's not faith. Paul says we're not supposed to force the ribs down their throat with some barbecue sauce. That's not what we're supposed to do. No, welcome them. Love them. Something strange will happen because this is what love does. Love, love does. Love binds us together when it's patient when it's kind, when it's never envious, when it's not boastful, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on its own way, not irritable or resentful, not rejoicing at wrongdoing, but rejoicing in the truth, seeking the truth and rejoicing in that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13. Our unity in Christ is real, it's beautiful, it's possible. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.